Thank you, Sarah and team. That was wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. To prepare our hearts this morning, we have two readings, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. If you have your Bibles with you, great. Please open them to Psalm 34, 37, excuse me, Psalm 37. And we'll also be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Psalm 37, verses 7 to 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. Please stand for a reading from God's Word. Psalm 37 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their own way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. Then from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again verses 16 to 21, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See? Everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. If you have been with us for the last couple of weeks or been tracking with us online, you know that we have been going through a very important series, foundational series on the Lord's Prayer. And as I've been looking more at the Lord's Prayer in these last couple of weeks than ever before, I am continually amazed at what a beautiful piece of art, like word art it is. It's amazing, the unity and the themes and the completeness of it. And, and you know, it's just amazing because we've been saying it for, you know, maybe most of our lives, most of our faith lives for sure, but to really stop and examine. I mean, it begins with this beautiful declaration, our Father in heaven... And then it's these three amazing your statements, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will. And they just link together so beautifully. And then they're mirrored on the other side with these incredible us statements. Lord, give us, forgive us, and lead us because thine is the kingdom. And it all just chained and links together. And I continue almost like a, like a, like a, a set of chains. I keep finding new ways to link it together. And it's just beautiful, isn't it? But... I have the privilege this morning of of teaching from what is the most awkward part 
of the Lord's Prayer. And and you know what I'm talking about if you've ever been in mixed circles, meaning mixed circles of other Christians from other places and other denominations, other churches. Remember back before COVID when it was appropriate to put arms around at like a prayer gathering, right? We'd put arms around each other or, or maybe even hold hands with a stranger, by the way. Holding hands with strangers without hand sanitizer. I don't know if we'll ever do that again. Holding hands, and there's that beautiful moment when it's just like, oh, we're all in unison together. And give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. And then here it comes. And forgive us our debt sin passes. (laughs) As we those forgive those who sin debt pass against us. It's just destroys kind of the beauty. And then there's always that one guy who's like, transgressions. You know, like, who invited that guy? (laughs) In the beauty of the poetry, there's these differences in how we voice it. Sins, debts, trespasses. So this morning, what I want to do is get into, like, what is it? Is it debts, sins, trespasses? Spoiler alert, yes. We also want to talk about what is it to be forgiven, our debt, sin, passes. And, critically, what does it mean to forgive as we have been forgiven our debts, our sins, and our trespasses? As we get into this important word, let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. As we have already prayed a, song, a prayer of praise, Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified. Holy Spirit, come and be with us as we consider these beautiful words that Jesus gave us. And the humility it took for the disciples to come before you, having heard Jesus, the model of prayer that you had, this deep relationship with God as Father, and they came before you with such humility. said, will you teach us how to pray? And then Jesus said, yes, when you pray, pray this way. And you just gave us this beautiful model of prayer. Thank you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today what you warned about, which is to not just heap up empty words without meaning. Rescue us from that. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, forgive us our what? Forgive us our debts, sins, or trespasses. Now, largely it depends on what tradition you're from. How many of you uh, debts? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. Yeah, you can identify them. Those are probably people from a Reformed, maybe Presbyterian background. Okay. How many of you grew up with trespasses? Forgive my trespasses. We have a lot of trespasses in here. Yeah, forgive us our trespasses. We go those trespasses against us. Beautiful. That most likely came out of Catholic or maybe Methodist background. Good for you. That's great. Trespasses actually comes from the 15th century. William Tinsdale wrote one of the first published English Bibles, and he used that in there. Forgive us our trespasses is where that comes from. So all the way back to the 15th century. Good job. Uh, how many of you grew up with sins? Forgive us our sins. We've got, yeah, a lot of those. Western uh, denominations, mainly like, you know, young, younger denominations came out of the West. The Evangelical Covenant, that's our preference. And it is a preference, by the way. It's just a preference. So whether someone is sins, whether we forgive our debts, whether we forgive trespasses, it all points to the same reality. So I kind of forgive the awkward moment. The transgressions guy, even he can be forgiven. He's probably just been reading his NASB Bible, and that's where he gets transgressed. So we forgive him. He can stay. That's fine. It all points to the same reality, though. Before we get to that, let's look at what Scripture says. Now, in the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, he was inspired to record that Jesus said, now forgive us our debts 
as we forgive those who are debtors. So, applause to you guys who, who are debts. Now, in the Luke version, he records Jesus having said, Now forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Okay. It's clear here from the, at least the two versions we see in Scripture that debts seems to be the dominant way that it's expressed. So what does that mean? The idea of debts means, just like it is, a debt. Something is owed. Something has been wrong. Something has been broken. And therefore, there is an, a, a violation that has occurred that has caused some kind of a fine or something is due. It's kind of like when something breaks and you have that instinct and you go, oh, somebody's going to have to pay for that. Or someone cuts you off and you think, oh, they're going to have to pay for that. I'm going to really get up in, you know. It's that sense we have of, like, I need to do revenge. I need to do something in response to that. Oh, they're going to get theirs because something is due. That's where we get the idea of forgive debts. Something is owed. There's maybe been a legal or a moral violation, some break of protocol that has caused, okay, you're going to have to pay for that. Now, in Luke, you see that what he's doing is he's putting together the idea of sins. Sin seems to be piling into some form of debt. Sin, we hopefully know the basic understanding, the basic meaning of sin is anything that misses the mark, anything that falls short of God's perfect standard. Anything that misses the mark, anything that falls short of God's perfect standard, His ways, would be considered sin, especially when it's intentional, and especially if it's relational. I'm always convinced that the best idea of sin is to understand that it's relational. Sin is always relational. We hurt people by the way we treat them or mistreat them, and by the way we treat and mistreat God. We sin. And so sin is that missing of the mark. Something is off from God's standard. And especially when we live by our own standard. We sin. So where do trespasses come in? Well, in the following passage after Matthew uh, sees Jesus praying, there's this moment where the clicker doesn't work. And I forgive the clicker, by the way. I forgive you, clicker. You want to go one, one for me, Caleb? Jesus is amplifying what he just prayed, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And he says this in amplifying that understanding. He says, look, if we don't forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that's where we get trespasses from. And trespasses, we can even take the English word out of that and kind of have some understanding. It means anything that would be on offense. Anything that is over the line or out of bounds would be a trespass. You've trespassed on my property. You didn't stay in your lane. I'm fully convinced that about 45% of the population, driving population around you, drives with one hand on the horn. Because you guys are quick on that horn. Somebody comes in your lane, they start to merge in your space, you're, eh, 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 move it, right? Quick on that. Do they teach that in driver's training? Um, because they've come into our lane, they've trespassed against us, and so our instinct is, hey, 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 get out of my lane, stay in your lane. Something has happened where we have created an offense, we're offended by people. And again, Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, their offenses, their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. 
So let's put this all together. Sin, debt, trespasses. What we see in Scripture is that sin seems to create this sense of debt, this indebtedness that keeps us living in our trespass, in our offense. Sin creates the sense of enormous debt that keeps us living in offense, keeps us living in our trespasses. It's as if when we sin and the guilt that always comes along with it creates this this ever-growing unpayable debt and that becomes a barrier that casts us off into living in our own offense. And that's where we'll stay because it's this unpayable debt. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, when do I ever sin? When do I ever do that besides the obvious? Well, let's take a look at the Lord's Prayer, first of all. We sin, we create debt, we trespass when we don't receive God as our Father. We sin, we create debt, we trespass, we don't keep His name as holy or hallowed. We sin, we create debt, and we trespass when we resist His kingdom rule in our lives and in the world. We sin, we create debt, we trespass when we deny God's will instead for our own. We sin, we create debt, and we trespass when we take way more than our daily bread. Or as Pastor Joy taught us last week, when we thoughtlessly and joylessly waste it, not giving a thought to it. We sin, we create debt, and we trespass when we mistreat others. When we live by our own standards, not our own. When we mistreat them, not only with our hearts, but in our minds, even in that secret place of our mind. We can sin against people in our minds, just with our thoughts and our emotions. We can sin against others when we, the way we act against them or the way we choose not to act. We sin, we create debt, and we live in our trespasses if that remains unchecked. And it's a big bill. How many of you have ever had this happen to you? You're going through the mail, which I know has been kind of hard to get lately because the, the mail people have been shorthanded. So you're going through your mail, and you're like, okay, I'll look at that. That's good. But then you see in there there's like a bill that you didn't, and you're like, what's that? That's a bill. And it says due like immediately, right? So you, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe there's a few of you like, I ain't looking at that. Most normal people are like, wait, that's, why would I get a bill from, from that? Now, I'm not talking about one of those rando checks that you get that's like you get $75,000 from a bank you've never heard of in Iowa. I'm not talking about those. Those hopefully go in the recycling. My kids love those. They're like, what? You got $75,000. Yeah. I'm talking about a bill that might come in from a, a place or an organization you've done some business with. You've done some work. Or maybe they've done some work on you. And you're like, well, that doesn't, I wasn't expecting that. And you start to look at the bill and the charges that are listed on there, and you're like, wait a minute, that, that is me, and I, I've, I've had that all done. I'm, I'm what? Like, I'm do what? I'm owed what? And you look, and the bottom line is, it is such a great amount at the bottom of that bill, and guess what? You look at it more and more, you, you owe that. I want to imagine this is a very, very large bill, and it's justified. Yeah, that's you. And the bottom line is, it's more than you can pay. 
And the real bottom line, it's more than you could ever pay. It's more than you could ever pay in your lifetime. It's more than you could ever pay in 20 lifetimes. And it's due. This is exactly the feeling that Jesus imparted when he told this story about the unforgiving servant. He said, there was this man, and he came before the master, and it turned out he had an enormous debt to pay that was owed. And this debt was so large, it was literally mountains and mountains of gold, or some equivalent to like 20 lifetimes of every dollar he ever made maybe being poured in. That still wouldn't be enough. And he was shocked. This is how Jesus wants us to imagine how our sin has created this debt. It's this unpayable, astronomical bill that we could never afford to pay. And he asked for mercy. And amazingly enough, the master is so kind, he said, you know what, we'll set that aside. You're forgiven that. But the bill is amazing. This is why when we start to think about our sin, when we start to think about the way that we live our own, in our own standards, when we start to think about the way that we treat God and the way we start to think about the way we treat others, we start to realize that debt, that's pretty big. In fact, it's unpayable which is why, my friends, we must pray, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me my sin. Forgive me my debt. Forgive me my trespasses. Forgive me. We have to pray that. Okay. So what is it to pray, Lord, forgive me? It's, it's looking at the bill realizing we can never satisfy that and crying out for his mercy, Lord, will you forgive us? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? My sin, my debt, my trespasses. So what is it to be forgiven, this great debt? I love how Paul puts this in Colossians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13, he begins, he said, you know, when you were dead in your trespasses, when you looked at that bill and you realized, I can never pay that. I can't pay that in a thousand lifetimes. You were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him when he forgave all your trespasses. And listen to this, verse 14, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. He took the record that stood against us, and he said, it's like it's legal demands, it's like a bill, and he set it aside, and then he nailed it to the cross. What Paul understood in his day that he was communicating to his believers then was that if you were ever found in debt, in debt to society, maybe financial debt, maybe couldn't, taxes was a big one. People had a hard time paying their taxes. But also if they committed a criminal offense, they would have a bill. They would have this document that was against them that listed all the things they did wrong and what the penalty was for them to pay, and it stood there. Now, 
let's say back then it was an offense that you might have been able to pay. It was a crime. You did the crime. You can do the time. You know, you managed to scrape together enough or you had a a generous father-in-law and he helped you take care of the bill and you're good. What Paul understood back then was when someone was able to pay their bill that was due, it would get stamped with the stamp from the Roman government. And it would have this word on it, tetelestai. Tetelestai, they'd stamp that on the document that was held against you, and it basically meant finished, uh, complete, paid in full, okay? So I got this record of all the crimes that I've done or the, the great offense or the money that I owed, but I was managed to pay it off, I managed to do the time and the stamp. And I'd have this word on there, tetelestai, on this contract. Now, I'd have to carry this thing around because if ever someone came to me and said, hey, aren't you the guy that owes or aren't you the one that did the, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't be in trouble for that. Tetelestai. It's, it's, uh, it's finished. Complete. Paid in full. I'm good. I'm free. And I get to walk now as a freed person. I've got this paper that says, I don't owe that anymore. I'm not guilty of that. You can't hang that back on me. How did Jesus take the legal demand that stood against us and nail it to the cross? I'll show you. In John's version of the crucifixion, Jesus is there on the cross. And upon taking the bitter wine, he's preparing himself to breathe out his last breath. And he declared there one word, tetelestai. Tetelestai. Meaning, it's finished. It's complete. It's paid in full. You don't owe this anymore. He stamps it on that record that stood against us. And we get to carry that around so that no one can ever convict you again of your sins, the debt, or your trespasses. You know what? Tetelestai. It's finished. It's complete. Paid in full. And what's beautiful about it is it's just not done the one time. You can never be convicted again. You get to carry that word around. You get to carry that paid bill around and show everyone, especially yourself, I'm not guilty of this anymore. I'm not on the line for this anymore. I don't owe that. It's been paid for. Tetelestai. It's finished. It's complete. It's paid in full. What we see is that forgiveness isn't just something we receive. Forgiven is something we become. Forgiveness isn't just something we receive. Forgiven. I'm not on for that anymore. It's something we become. We are forgiven. The sin, the debt, the trespasses was more than we could ever, ever pay in a thousand lifetimes. But it has been, and we're set free. And who the Son sets free, say it, free indeed. So what does it mean then to forgive me my sins, my debts, my trespasses, as I forgive 
those who sin against me. Third part. This is where it gets awkward again. Because to say we'll be forgiven as implies that we'll be forgiven in the same manner in which we forgive those around us. And it is confusing. It is awkward. It's even frightening. I had someone after first service said, that really scares me to think, forgiven as I forgive? To imagine that the way we forgive others is the same way we're going to receive. Now, I got to tell you, just right off the top, the overwhelming biblical perspective is yes, according to Jesus and the scriptures, if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. If we do not forgive, then we will not be forgiven. Now, your reaction here may be like mine, a little bit of panic, looking back at the bill again. There's got to be a mistake here somewhere. We might want to just forget about it. Maybe that's not the way it works. But you know, unforgiveness and bitterness especially, it's a spiritual infection. And a little bit of it is very, very dangerous. It's like when you get the medical bill for the little piece of thing you had cut off, and then afterwards they tested it, and they were like, okay, well, that, that was okay. Whew, okay. But we had it taken off because we know those little things, they can grow and manifest into something else. Same with bitterness and spiritual, as a spiritual infection. Even a little bit can sow a great seed in our hearts. It's horrifying. Our other reaction Let's let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to show us. Just as we might a good doctor, can you show me those spots maybe that are in there where there's unforgiveness or maybe where I'm holding on to bitterness? We go back to the text that we read earlier, and it says that God reconciled us to himself. And, see in the middle there, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All this from God, he forgave us, brought us back, made it complete in himself through Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, forgiveness isn't just something we receive for ourselves. Forgiven is something we become ministers of a new story of reconciliation because the old has passed away and something new has begun. Now, in the story of the... Uh, unforgiving servant, it doesn't end well for him, which is why it's called the unforgiving servant. He took that record that was set free of him, and he didn't turn his heart. In the story, he went out, he was very mean, very mistreating to others, and when somebody came to him and owed him a little bit, he just said, you know what, I'm so mad, and he throws him in jail and mistreats him horribly, chokes him out, very angry, had not been changed by the fact that he'd been freed such great debt. And here's what's difficult. The man who was set free before got brought back in before the judge, and he said, you know what? You are liable for the whole thing. And he sent him to prison where he was tormented forever. It's a challenging story. We should always be concerned about holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. We should always be concerned about that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it's like you can be angry, that's okay. It might be okay to hit the horn once, three times. Eh. You could be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun set on your anger. 
Because when you do, it gives place, or in one translation, a foothold to the devil, father of lies, the destroyer, the evil one. It gives place, presence in your heart, thoughts, and mind. It also is a foothold. It'll keep you from moving. It'll keep you from growing in faith, and I've seen it. Forgiveness and bitterness will hold you back. And you may never then be able to fully experience the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. And sadly, I've seen it. Unforgiveness and bitterness in someone who they come to church. They may have been coming for a long time. They hear the messages. They hear the worship. But it doesn't get in to their heart. They hear the gospel. There's some wall there. They may even take of the elements. They may even give generously. They may even serve, but it never gets to their heart. I say, is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness in there somewhere? Because that will hold you back. Unforgiveness and bitterness can really hold back a marriage. I've seen it. You get a couple... Married on a beautiful day in the perfect location. She looked amazing. He was okay. (laughs) But something happens. They don't forgive one another. Little things start to bother them. Suddenly they can only see what's wrong about each other. Suddenly they just are cold and spiritless in their marriage. Divorce at that point seems merciful. It'll hold you back. Unforgiveness and bitterness that'll lock down your family. You think a a, a substance addiction gets passed generation to generation? What's really dangerous is an angry, bitter, unforgiving spirit. It'll get passed down to the generations. You'll see it. Unforgiveness and bitterness, it'll hold back a church. We'll always be thinking about what we lost, what we had, and who took it. Not moving forward in mission and in worship. Unforgiveness and bitterness will lock down a nation. That I think we see every night on the news, which is hard to watch. Rampant sin, everyone living by their own standards and trespasses. We are building up an oppressive debt, not just financially. We are building up an oppressive debt that in a million lifetimes we'll never be able to pay for. And a lot of times it's easy to see that our nation's run by unforgiving and very bitter spirits. It'll lock us down. This is why, friends, we must pray. We must pray. As the psalmist said, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret, don't hold on to it. It only leads to evil. Or 2 Corinthians, we said, look, I entreat you, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God so that we can be agents of reconciliation in the world. This is why we must pray, Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who sin, who have debt, who trespass against us. We need to pray it. In a moment, we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer as we have been at the end of this series, teachings every week. We go through it, then we're going to stop in that section about forgiveness. But 
before we get there, I want you to take a moment. This has been helpful for me when I've really struggled with unforgiveness and bitterness, which I have. Take a moment, close your eyes, and just ask the Lord to search you. Lord, will you search my heart? Will you help me identify any unforgiveness, any bitterness? Search my heart, O Lord. Now, there may be names and faces and painful events that are coming up, and I want to be really sensitive to that. I want to remind you that pastorally, we're here for you to help you walk this path of newness, a minister of reconciliation. You might be asking yourself the questions, but what does that mean to forgive? Well, first of all, it begins in your heart. Set them free. Does that mean I have to let them back into my life? No. Just set them free. Search our heart, O oh Lord. Then we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sin. Now stop. Forgive us our sins. Lord, forgive us our debt. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive, in the same way that we forgive those who have sinned against us, those who are indebted to us, those who have trespassed over us. Release us, Lord. Break the chain, the foothold. Remove the presence of the enemy. Get rid of any bitterness, critical spirit, anger. Release us, we pray. And we continue and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. We stand together.